Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Did you watch the Apple TV Plus television series Silo? Correct. <laughs> uh, Apple TV Plus, by the way, it seems like too much. Couldn't it just be Apple TV? Well, uh, well, it could be, but Apple TV is also a piece of hardware you can buy from them. <gasps> oh. And also okay. an app oh. that runs their stuff on uh so that you could have a similar experience on an ipad or a, a desktop program sure. um sure 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 they should have kind of like apple stream that would been i feel like more there it's it's it, it it is real it's a real mess they've they've really really <laughs> fucked up their branding on this <laughs> um because it's like i can download the apple tv app on a roku <laughs> And or you could download the Apple TV app on Apple TV. Well, it's already there. Sure. But it is an app on the Apple TV that exists in the same level as like the Netflix app. Sure. On the Apple TV hardware. And the Apple TV hardware runs Apple TV OS. Not none of this is to be confused with the Apple TV app, which is a part of the Apple TV hardware, but can also be run on other things. Oof. And then there's Apple TV Plus which is the service you subscribe to to be able to watch their original programming. So, yeah, they've uh, really, hmm. really made a mess of things here. But they seem to make good shows. Apparently, this is the first uh, Apple TV Plus program that I've watched in its entirety, and I thought it was pretty good. I have watched... Somewhere between two and four Apple television shows in their entire <laughs> entirety, and I have liked all of them. Yeah, uh, everybody says says it's all pretty good stuff. Mythic Quest is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Ted Lasso is, of course, good. Um, I watched Shrinking. That's funny. Uh, I guess that's it. I do think I want to watch Foundation because I've heard while the first season has some ups and downs, I've heard the second season is quite good. And there's a bunch of other like random sci-fi fantasy bullshit on there, too. I might check out. Uh, But we're talking about the silo. We are talking about silo, which is kind of sci-fi. I I think it is. It is. It is definitely sci-fi. It is. It is. It is firmly a sci-fi show. It uh, is a little bit set up kind of like a mystery, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really follow that. Right. Like, cause I, you know, I, I, I've always said that like the key to a real mystery, um, uh, you know, whether they're talking about a book, a movie, a TV show or whatever is the audience has at least has the feeling that the mystery is solvable at any point that you're watching it. You feel like, you know, once you're past the first 20 minutes or so, you should feel like you have all of the information needed or all the pieces to solve the mystery. You just can't put them together yet. Like that's the feeling you should have when you're watching a mystery. Mm. This does not do that. No. Even though the first half of the show or so, um, well, maybe not the first half, but really like uh, a good chunk of it is really set up like a mystery. You know, like the characters are trying to solve a mystery and has all the trappings of like almost like a police procedural, but it's set in an alternate universe kind of thing. Yeah. But it doesn't quite do that because you as the audience are learning new information about the silo uh, throughout the whole you know, all the way up until the last, the closing shot. Right. 
and it's sort of more it's less it's got a mystery embedded in it but it's more of a kind of puzzle box you know genre in the way that like a lost right or a you know uh you know something more in that like it's much more common and like i feel like in sci-fi to kind of have this like you're learning about the world and that's the world is the mystery right there's not there is a in this there is a a like cogent specific mystery that you're trying to figure out of like you know who killed whom and whatever but the right. real mystery is what the fuck happened in this world right? right and that's that's more than what a typical mystery wants to try and tackle besides like besides you know the whodunit of it all right and there's and and you as the audience are not you know it's it's again like a classical mystery you know it's the the whodunit you know and and you've, you're given all the suspects early on right and yeah. um you're trying to figure it out, but this this doesn't give you the suspects. It's not like, well, it was either a nuclear war or it's a big science experiment or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like we're going to learn. We're going to learn about it as we go. Um, yeah. And you're also probably slightly less interested in, you know, exactly the the series of events led up to George Wilkins being thrown out right. around the silo than you are of like what is going on outside right. and what did Rashida Jones find and. Right. And um, what is the nature of reality outside the silo and why exactly is everything set up the way that it is? Right. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're gradually you, you learn pretty quick that this world has all kinds of very strange rules um, and that lots of secrets are being kept from the general populace. What those secrets are, why they're being kept. um, like, yeah, obviously, like this show is like, hey, look, there's a guy in a black, you know, in like a black trench leather trench coat. He's you probably shouldn't trust him. He's probably <laughs> a sinister guy. Yeah. Um, right. Like the show is not hiding anything. I mean, I, there's a couple points where they reveal some things where, you know, like and I guess spoilers from here on out, gang. <laughs> um, but like. When they revealed that Tim Robbins was a bad guy. Yeah, that was done pretty well. I mean, part Mm -hmm. of me is like, that's Tim Robbins. He's going to have a bigger part in this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so they're going to eventually like, um, but I think they did a good job of hiding the ball that he was going to turn out to be a villain. Um, Other than the fact that just like, that's a big name actor, you know? Yeah. Um, That was pretty good. And um you know, I think the final reveal at the end um, was pretty good, um, although it, it and I think that's a maybe maybe it's a flaw of the overall plot, but it feels a little too convoluted a little bit like, wait, so the cameras are showing the real world, but the visors are showing a fake world to these people who are going to die in five minutes. What? Yeah. Why? That's like so it's needlessly yeah, complex. Like, <laughs> the only way they're dying is because the suits are faulty and it's it's a very it's like a Rube Goldberg machine of like, you know, this this you know, this very important conspiracy that's being, you know, carried out to keep whatever this, you know, form of reality they're living in like right intact. So yes, I would definitely agree that the uh I don't know what you call it, like that premise is a little tough to swallow but it's also kind of not i mean it is it's the point in the plot but uh, you know it's not the specifics of the plot aren't as important as i think the overall ideas of the plot right it's one of yeah like you know this is not one of those where i think that you know 
there's not a deep mythos of the side. You know, the side. It's like it's not like people are gonna be picking apart the D and D rules of like what isn't. But 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 it is like there's got to be a easier way to make the system work for people, right? Well, yeah, and and so there's a couple things that I I mean, and maybe we could just figure we maybe we can work out the the rules a little bit um, because it's still a little bit iffy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, let's take a step back, though. Did, yeah. Did you were you familiar with this story at all before you watched the show? No, I went in. I, I all I knew about it was like what a person would know from a trailer. Got it. Um, OK, I had read I read Wool, which is confusing me, book. like the first book slash kind of the name of the series, but also not. But it's not wasn't really a book. It was a short couple of short story, whatever. Anyway, they had, by the point by the time point I read it, there was a book called Wool that I read that was a collection of stories put together to be a book, more or less. Yeah, and I read that like I don't know when did it even come out like twenty. Yeah, I read that in like 2011, 2012. Like I was, I mean, it was like over ten years ago. So I went in being like, I kind of remember what happened in this. Like I remember like scenes. And I remember the overall pretense, right? Like, like, okay, there's like a conspiracy and I know there's more than one silo and I know that like, there's this weird conspiracy. I didn't remember the details of how it all works. So that was kind of nice. I was kind of like, what exactly was, who's, who's in charge again? Like, who's the bad guy? So that was kind of nice that I wasn't completely just like, cause if you kind of know, it's one of those, like it kind of suffers from that thing that mysteries have where it's like, if you know everything, not that it's not still an enjoyable show, but it takes a little bit of the fun out of it. Um, I kind of I kind of remember more like where it ended up more than how it got there, which is which is fine. Um, I remember really liking it. I didn't remember that there were like subsequent sequel books that like explored the universe more. Um, and I think I've determined that the first uh, the the show, the first season, of the show covers three quarters of the first book, I think. That sounds about right. I I. I picked up the first book and basically started reading it around the point in the story where the show leaves off. Mm. Um, and it, um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how, how, how much further I have to go, but I think I'm closing in on the closing in on the end. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the book for the most part. Um, but anyway, right. Uh, you, you were, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of I had that kind of like vague recollection of what was going on. Um, and I felt that one of the things I really liked about it is that the kind of impressions I had of when I read it were still with me. And I feel like the show really like delivered on. Like I don't know if it stuck to everything plot beat by plot beat, but like from a feel and a like setting, like what the silo looked like and how the technology worked and how things looked and felt and how the characters interact. And I'm just like, well, you nailed it. Like <laughs> this is a yeah. really good adaptation of like that. You know, again, I don't know if the plot is hundred percent the same, but I think it's pretty damn close. But, uh, but yeah, so I was like, Oh wow. Like I, I think it, the show looked really like the silo as a setting looked really cool. Yeah. I was really happy with the production design and the way it communicated, like the way life works here. And, um, without ever getting too heavy on exposition, you just kind of got the sense of it. Like everything is recycled and, um, you know, the clothes are, this was a really good example of like, you know, designing a world where the clothes are like, they're familiar enough, but they're also a little bit different. Mm -hmm. 
You know, like it's like kind of like a 70s kind of macrame thing sometimes, but then it also is kind of futuristic in some places. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I think about costumes a lot and I really like when there's a, you know, a alternate version of our own world and the clothes are just familiar enough, but also, uh, it's that fine line before it starts to look like, you know, Star Trek clothes, you know, where everybody's wearing leotards in the future. Right. But it's different enough and it's just kind of off center enough to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. About, it's, like, it's, when does this take place? What is happening? You know, it's got like a, a retro futuristic vibe to it. Yeah. It, in like that sort of way that it's like, oh, this is what people in the 50s thought the people in the future look like. Kind of looks like people's in the 50s or it's like I said, or Star Trek, but like but like a little bit weird. And and it does. But it also makes sense in the plot where it's like, yeah, I mean, if you're kind of inheriting, who knows, you know, got, I, don't remember, I don't know the macro storyline at all. But like if you're inheriting something from like a previous society and you're kind of patching together things from that, it's like, yeah. Sure. And like, again, the technology being kind of like this hodgepodge of like, well, they've got phones, but and they've got computers. Right. And this place is called IT. Yeah. But they don't have cameras, but they do do have guns. Yeah. Or do they? Or, you know, but they, you know, like, but like these kind of pieces. And I think uh, that's kind of one thing that I think made this story like super. It came at a good time, I think, because we're, you know. Coming into this new kind of era of like deep fakes and generative AI and like really feeling like it's going to be hard in the next year's going to be hard to trust anything you see like on the Internet, mm-hmm. which is how most of us engage with the world nowadays. So the idea that there's like a society that didn't have that had like other versions of technology at a certain level, but that the existence of like cameras and video CGI technology was hidden or, you know, used slash abused feels like relevant yeah and, and i like that yeah. as opposed to maybe in 2011 where i was like i i guess like it, that stuck out to me a lot more and also the visual component of it right being television versus a book like that stuck out to me a lot more as like yeah. a cool premise than it did in 2011 when i or 2012 when i read it yeah um yeah i think i mean the production design i really liked i mean you just the the the, the sense of claustrophobia the sense of and just the general malaise of so many of the characters just like trying to get by in what is a really depressing, hopeless world, you know? Right, right. Um, I thought was really well done without um, without them over explaining it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or being super depressing. Yes. Yes. You know? Um, yes. So you so, liked it, right? I did. I, 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 I enjoyed it. I mean, I had some problems with it. Um, uh, there were a couple parts where I felt like it was wasting a little bit of time, you know, like the, the, the romance between the deputy and the mayor. I'm like, I don't care about this. This is not helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think this is a problem of the source material, although, um, uh, it felt a little bit weird because it just seems like, so many of the plot beats rely around um, uh, people getting pulled into the mystery because they've got the hots for somebody. Mm. Seems like that kept happening. Sure. <laughs> um, which, you know, it's not necessarily a problem, but 
Um, it's almost like so there's this George character who is is the gateway to the mystery for uh, Allison, right? Uh, Rashida Jones's character and Juliet. And it, it, it's almost like at that point, it's like you kind of have to you kind of almost have to explain, like, is that this guy's deal? Like he like seduces women or tries to seduce them to bring them into the mystery? Because weird that it's happening twice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of hinted at that, like he is kind of like, you know, there's that. Well, right. Because there's where, the ex. He, the, she visits one of his exes. Yeah. And he's kind of it's like, oh, this guy's a little bit of a scumbag, maybe. Right. Which. Could be, which could have been a, a little bit more of an interesting reveal if there was a a little bit more to like. Um, okay, so to draw a comparison to uh, in in the Scar by China Miaville, uh, there is a, a you know a point where we realize that Bellis, who's the um, POV character, the the central narrator for the most part, um, she realizes that. Um, you know, one of the other characters, Uther Dole, has basically been kind of leading her on a little bit and like maybe kind of leading her towards like a romantic thing. Um, and, and but that was all part of his manipulation, basically to put her in position to uh, be a part of his larger plan. And like she was being manipulated. Right. And in that book, it works really well because you also understand, oh, I see. He, you know, he he had this master plan and he was manipulating her and that sucks. But I also see he had a plan. But in this, like, what is George's plan? Because it just seems like he likes he likes exploring and finding relics and figuring out the mystery on his own. But he just keeps bringing women into it. It's just weird. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a missing piece there. But yeah, the vibe I got was that, like, they all had a piece of what he was trying to do. You know, like his ex had contacts to relic people. Uh, Rashida Jones character had like the IT skills he needed to crack the thing. Mm. He's kind of hitting on her. And then, you know, Juliet, like she has like the, the machinery skills to potentially, you know, you know, something down, like finding that, you know, going into the water and figuring that shit out. Like that was kind of the vibe I got, but then I guess sort of the implication is that this, that, that she wasn't, she ended up being more than just like a mark and fell in love, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and I, yeah. And I think if maybe that had just been developed a little bit further, I think that could have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, I think that 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 plays into the larger themes of the show of like people being manipulated, you know, through information and, you know, what they have access to and, you know, um, you know, being manipulated to get information or being manipulated through information. I think it all fits with the themes. Just I don't think that particular plot point was fleshed out well enough. Yeah, I would agree. And I think there's like there's something in this story about like like one of the themes or something that it's touching on is like love and relationships and family, because like you said, so much of the story is grounded in like kind of even the framing device starting off with the sheriff and his wife, you know, uh, and their, you know, fertility struggles, you know, and well, quote unquote struggles. And, you know, like this idea of like this kind of push and pull between like what individuals and their families want versus like, the social engineering of the silo. Yes. And I think like sometimes it comes through and it like clicks and then other times maybe it doesn't. Um, yeah. But I do like it overall because it's a good, you know, it's a good like one of those like it's not that people are necessarily like 
mustache e twirling evil running the silo or, or whoever set up this like society it's like well we gotta like you know we can't have too many kids like we can't only these things can only support so much life like we have to social engineer this whatever and well now they're getting a little bit too uppity about stuff we got to social engineer that out too so it's like otherwise everyone's gonna die or whatever so it's like but like also then seeing the individual harm and suffering that it causes among people in some of the most basic aspects of like human life you know relationships and families like i just like that that push and pull yeah and i also like that um there isn't even though like you definitely see like oh man this is like there's some real bad you know people are getting people are pretty oppressed by this system um the fact that the 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 system it's pretty clear um and i think that it's it's clear in the uh in the at least as far as i've gotten the book as well is that even though like yeah this is an oppressive system it's like you realize like something is necessary because this is very clearly like this is these are like the remnant of humanity trying to survive and um it's not like they're being kept alive as part of like some kind of science experiment or something where like the man behind the curtain is like definitively evil Mm -hmm. right like you could you know um it's you know you you and also you you realize that like yeah bernard is manipulating this but it doesn't appear that he's manipulating it necessarily for his own gain he's trying to keep the system running and also it's clear he did not design the system yeah he barely knows how the system works like beyond right. his place in it right he he is a he's a functionary within the system and his job requires him to be ruthless but his job is also uh to maintain a certain order in in order to like literally keep humanity around and it's pretty clear from the final scene that like yeah no it's that that this is it, humanity is fucked you know because you're thinking throughout it like that oh no the the real outside is actually nice and people are going to get outside and realize like oh this is some horrible skinner box experiment where everybody's underground but they don't need to be and mm-hmm. we've all been lied to it's like nope nope it's bad out there guys yeah like the the sort of double twist of that is always you know always fun when you can pull something off like that right um and i think that that you know does a good job for the show's politics because uh it could have been a very kind of like edgelord libertarian you know like uh you can't trust the government they're trying to tell you things are bad but go out there it's fine you don't need to wear a mask you know like that sure, yeah I was kind of a little worried, a little bit worried, like that's where we were going. And I was like, I don't know if that's great right now. <laughs> no, I don't know much about Hugh Howie, but I definitely read an uh, essay or two from him, like back after I read, because I a friend who got like kind of into him was like, he's, he's, he's pretty liberal. And because uh, he's like, one of the things he is, he is an, ex- he would describe himself as an extreme pacifist, like no violence is justified ever kind of guy. That's one of his things he hangs his hat on um well that's which is a, interesting writing a character like julie because she's you know like the kind of like don't tell me the rules like kind of you know like. right <laughs> well and there's there's a fair amount of i mean i think it, it doesn't come as through as much in the show but there's a like there's a, a very clear like class narrative oh for sure in um and like a, almost like a labor narrative even right. more so you than, know, like even to put a finer point on like the class piece like the lows and and the way they kind of uh again I, I don't know if I want to give spoilers for the second part of the book but um 
the the, the what happens later on like is very yeah. much you know becomes a class kind of thing so well and they a little bit they, they, they do it a little bit in the show where you know like when Juliet first gets her job as the sheriff and the one of the people in the office is being like silo racist to her you know like oh i think oh, i thought people from the down deeps only eat bugs or something like that yeah. yep and they do it a little bit but there's there's much more of that in the book of just like the casual classism of mm-hmm. how far down you work in the silo and what that says about you even though it seems like I mean, at least economically, the silo is fairly egalitarian. Like, it doesn't seem like, unless you're like the mayor, you basically have the same kind of apartment as everybody else and access to all the same stuff as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. It's it's not as like, uh, like stark of a right. socioeconomic di- divide as something like what you'd see in like, I don't know. The, the thing that makes me think of it, just because I think... It's kind of the same post like Snowpiercer, right? Like people in the back of the train are eating bugs and right. dirty and the people in the front are eating caviar from their fish tank car. It's like it's not that. Right. But the extreme. people, the people in mechanical, they have the more dangerous demanding jobs, mm-hmm. right? You know, they're running the generators and putting their bodies at risk. And then the people in like the more of the mid levels are more like. We're the farmers and the shopkeepers, you know, our jobs are easier. And then you get up to IT and it's like they're desk jockeys, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and even though everybody has similar like, you know, stuff, mm-hmm. uh, there is still that, you know, that thing of, um, you know, people's lives are just harder regardless. Yep. Um, harder, shorter. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah, no, I think I mean, I I, I was. Uh, you know, I was watching it for a while. I was like, oh, what is because they they just keep setting you up like, yep, nope. They think they think it's all wasteland out there, but it's not. It's not wasteland. And then you get to the end and it's like, oh, no, it's a wasteland. I'm like, well, what what were we watching then? <laughs> what was this? What? what, what? Um, so I think the way it's anyway, well, we need to we need to we need to break open the the, the, the macro plot here. And I'm. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense to you, but let's see if we can work it out. Sure. So and I'm going to I'm going to try not to spoil anything that's from the rest of the book, just because it's a potential spoiler for what's going to happen in season two of the show. Um, But so what what we know is that the outside world is indeed a poisonous hellscape. We know that there are other silos um, and that there is this like double illusion at play which is you know the people who go out to clean get this vision of uh the brighter world the or, or the the kind of um non-poisoned world which is all synthesized and beamed into their visors they're sent out in uh purposely inadequate suits so that they eventually die mm-hmm um when they get out there presumably so that they don't discover the other silos right um but also they're sent out to clean this sensor which is a camera but and the show kind of implies that well we have to show them the fake world so that they feel compelled to clean the thing Mm -hmm. because they're going to clean it because they want to show everybody that everything's nice but the show never really explains why the thing needs to be cleaned why that's so important um uh yeah. and 
um, that information about the past, information about the way the world used to be or the origins of the silos is very tightly controlled by IT and judicial. Although I think in the books, it's just IT, right? Um, But doesn't matter. Um, And that that information is very tightly controlled and monitored. And clearly, if you learn too much about the world as it is, you get got. Mm -hmm. And the powers that be in the silo monitor this to such an extent that if they get the sense that you're getting a little too curious, they like eugenics you, apparently. (laughs) Um, Which I don't. Did they did they include that in the in the book or was that something for the show? I think that's. Pretty sure that's in the book. Okay. Again, I, I was like over 10 years ago I read that. But um I I don't know if it's quite as big a thing. It also doesn't make like a ton of sense to me because like I don't know. Like the idea of like eugenicsing out like curiosity or like rebelliousness. Rebelliousness, is that a word? I don't know. Right. Uh like like Assuming that they're like, this is a temporary solution until the world is better. I mean, unless you're thinking that's going to be like tens of thousands of years. Like, I don't know that you. Right. Like, well, can enact that level of eugenics in like, I guess that maybe, amount of time. But. And maybe maybe now that I'm kind of talking about it out loud, maybe it's not so much like that yeah. the show is suggesting that like there's actually something genetic. At it's play. not biological. It's more like, well, your parents are raising you are too curious. Right. Maybe they don't need to be raising other curious kids. That makes more sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. A, a curious parent is going to raise curious kids. So, you know, let's just nip that in the bud whenever we can. Yeah, it makes a little bit more sense. But I still it seems very convoluted just to get people to wipe off a sensor. Yeah, that is the biggest part that I think Shay was kind of like asked me and i'm just like i don't know like like why like why would you as the person who like you know uh is seeing this fake world and assuming it's real although i kind of like the vibe that like it looks all like kind of super cgi to us but if you were like a person who's never seen video or cgi before you'd, you'd be like oh this is just what it looks like that kind of like right. that little idea but like yes why would you then be compelled to go like there might have been something in the book that like it's more than just a camera like it's it's like sensors to to detect what's going on outside or something. So there maybe there's some implication that like, oh, well, like the sensors must just be like not working well enough. Like they need to see that it's better outside now. And that's kind of the idea. I mean, so maybe maybe it's that. OK, so so if you're designing this system right from the you're you're, you're the evil mastermind. So the silo system, you say, well, we need people. To, we need if we're going to be doing this for generations. Right. We need to regularly remind people that it actually is dangerous outside because if people start to think maybe it isn't, then they're going to open the doors. Everybody's going to die. and This whole thing falls apart. So how do you do that? Well, you got to send some people outside periodically so that everybody else can see him get killed. So that, you know, every couple of years you are reminding everybody in the silo that, yes, it is still dangerous outside. Yeah. And sacrifices must be made and there and nip any buds of curiosity and have these sort of like traumatic moments to to keep right some level of, of social control. Right. And how do you do that? Well, you need people to see it happening. And um, so how do we compel people to go outside? We know that we can make it so that they'll, you know, that they'll 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 die within sight of the camera. So we send them out there in a bad suit and say, you got to go clean the camera. Um, Yeah. 
And maybe that's the whole point. The point is just to periodically, uh, you have to show people that this place is still dangerous. But why do you have to fake the beautiful world in the visor other than just be to ensure that they clean the sensor? Right. I my only thought is that like this sort of and this is what they 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 show in the show, but I don't know that it's again. It's I think it's I was just digging around a little bit trying to. Like, is there any sort of better explanation here? And I think the idea that I have, at least, is that like that the act of cleaning the silo is a demonstration of like a final hope and unity for the person who was, you know, for that society, like, a, a you know, a bad citizen. Right. They they questioned something too much. They did something wrong. They they hurt some whatever. But like their final act is is basically a hopeful sacrifice for the good of you know the greater good right right and And, sorry go ahead right and if you're 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 like um i mean on one hand somebody has to clean the the sensor because if the sensor gets too dirty we don't see people dying outside we don't see the dead bodies outside right right right. so the sensor needs to be cleaned and you need to make sure it's cleaned yes Um, and and it's a it's it that then becomes a kind of quote-unquote humane way of 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 executing people right right but you know that a certain number of people when you send them out there um are going to choose not to clean and that could have problems for your group your group cohesion plus the thing has to get cleaned yeah so what you do is you trick them into thinking that there's really something out here for everyone to see yeah so you make sure that they clean it because you've you've tricked them into thinking that there's something really important out there i mean i guess that kind of works yeah. And like one thing I'm reading here is people saying, like, you know, if if we're operating under the sort of premise that like these people have no experience with cameras or like captured. I mean, look, do they even have photographs? No, no. So it's like they have no experience with captured visual anything, really. So they might just think that like, oh, the reason it looks bad is because it's dirty, you know, right. or something like that. And therefore you kind of close the loop like ah, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but like. Uh, it's fine for me. Like, yeah. I wish it was a little bit. I wish we didn't have to go through that process. We just went through to like make it make sense. But well, um, that, that well, but that's the thing though, and that I think is one of the one of the flaws with the show is it's a little bit unclear why any of this is happening the way it it is, and not in a good mysterious way. More like, uh, did I miss an episode? Why did they? You know, like why would you? And especially. Um, the way that where this season leaves off, it's just like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> right. Wait, I don't I didn't get I didn't get any answers to some of the more mundane questions of just like, well, why do they have to clean this thing if it's if it's just a fake image anyway? Um, and it definitely becomes a little bit more clear as you go in the books. You get a little bit more of an understanding of why it works the way it does and what secrets they're trying to keep and how they go about keeping them etc etc but in the show i was a little bit baffled at the end of just like why are you faking it (laughs) yeah yeah no for sure and that's where these things that i think it's it's easy to sometimes like uh when, when you're gonna have a big twist or reveal in your show sometimes it can sort of take over the like or like a mystery or something like that it can it can take on a life of its own and sort of almost detract from the story 
that you're trying to tell. And I worry that this is I don't think it quite got there, but that's sort of just like very big reveal at the end with like, you know, it's it's dramatic. It's a cliffhanger like some people really dig that. And it's like it's a it's a thing that you do in television sometimes. I don't love it because I like my favorite part of a show is falling action or my favorite part of a story is falling action. So I don't in, you know, you're not always going to have that in every chapter of every story. But, you know, the the OMG reveal can sometimes, I think, take on a life of its own and be too big of a thing almost. Well, and and it, there's, you know, a, a, a great twist when it happens. It instantly makes you recontextualize everything you saw and now every, you're seeing everything in a different light. And, uh, you know, or now all of a sudden you thought this was going to be one kind of thing, but it actually is a whole different kind of thing. Like, obviously, this isn't the way the plot goes, but imagine if she walks through the doors and she finds herself on the bottom floor of an even bigger silo, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, she opens the door and all of a sudden she's just in a mall, you know, something like that, you know, you know, yeah, um, where um, and it's like, oh, wow, this is crazy. What happens next? But what we get is, nope, the world is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, the, the, the world is what what the what we sold you. It was right. Everything you the war, the, all of your assumptions about the world that from the first half of the season. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It looks like there's other silos, though. OK, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, kind of figured maybe there were, but um, all right. <laughs> Doesn't what is that? You know, you kind of assumed that you know, or like she opens it and it's she's on the surface of the moon. They're out in space or something. It's just you know, right. you don't re- nothing's recontextualized. Um, it and and that's true in the books too because you know she gets outside and it's like oh, there's more silos. It's like all right, it doesn't really. Yeah, I kind of figured, right? <laughs> like once you realize that like, oh, there is there is a conspiracy in place here and um, the silos serve a purpose that is at least somewhat obscured from everyone else. Although that's not even really true. You kind of understand what it's for, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we're keeping people alive yeah. while the world gets better. Yeah. Um, well, that's what I kind of like about it is that it like that reversal of like you're expecting some some big sci-fi twist. Yeah. And it's not. And it's yeah. like, this is, that's kind of the point is it's like, there isn't aliens or gardeners or whatever. They're like, are, you know, doing experiment or whatever. It's like, no, this is some man-made like, you know, social control to try and what, in what they think is the, you know, and that's one thing about the series that I, I really liked looking, if I remember back and even in this to a degree, I mean, Common is a menacing dude, be, you know, in the in the show. Mm-hmm. And but like you said, like even a big twist with uh, Tim Robbins character is like they aren't like it'd be hard pressed to be like, oh, they're evil. Like, right. Like they, you know, and and there's some loose things that, you know, the show like the, the book and show try to kind of lean on that, like maybe obfuscate some of the overall point of this is that like. So it's like that's like there's like a pseudo religious feel to like their dedication, which is some commentary there. And then, you know, there's like I said, some class commentary and some of that all gets a little bit like office cable. It's just like, again, like that push and pull of like, is this is this is this really necessary? And is this the only way? That's the question, right? Right. And that's a question we ask a lot in real life. And I think that to to put it in a more just like purely human human v human 
ideas versus ideas kind of setting. I like that in this this world in this yeah context. i mean i i think i i guess what i will well, say is this the show is a is an enjoyable watch does a good job of um moving the plot you know decent to good performances throughout um well put together but i think that this world at least as far as i can tell this is really just like an examination of like mechanisms of social control Mm-hmm. And an exploration of the lives of people, you know, and, and, and what elements of social control are visible to them, what are invisible to them, what are the rationale behind the way that the society is structured, and does that make sense for whose benefit is it structured this way? Um, I think that that, I don't know that the show really nails that part of things. That's um, fair, I think. Or, or at least hasn't yet. Like, I feel like it could be one of those things where, like, as the story's storyline progresses, you might see more of a point and a politic about it or whatever about this that comes out. But again, I don't yeah. I don't know. And, and you know, I think the books do it a little bit better, although I will say that and maybe this is just a stylistic preference. I, I find I'm finding Hugh Hugh Howie is just like his prose to just be kind of flat and dull. He was effectively an amateur writer. He published this through like Amazon's early Kindle, like basically fan fiction kind of thing. So, yes. Um, But it, 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 you know, in in much the same way as like Sanderson, like there's nothing about Sanderson's prose that's all that great. And, And everybody has made this complaint. This is not he has made this complaint about himself. Right. This is not new news I'm breaking here. Right. But like his prose is incredibly utilitarian. But in you know, when he's really at his at his peak, like it doesn't matter because cool shit is happening all the time. Yeah. In in, you know, there's and you don't mind that the prose is just kind of, you know, basic. The dialogue is eh, fine um, because there's always some really cool new wild thing happening. But in these stories, it's a little bit more like, oh, Another depressing day in the silo. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, so, um, but I do think that the the uh, the themes of like social control, class struggle, um, and just the everybody going along to get along. You know, everybody's just trying to get through their day. They're not. Most people are not trying to unravel the deeper mysteries of why they're society is the way it is um and you don't get much sense that uh significant change is possible uh at least in the books or the show it's just like nah this is kind of the way things are gonna be there Mm -hmm. isn't you know it's not like juliet's gonna show up and become the mayor and fix everything it's like nah it's uh you know it's like how how would you do things differently if it's like people can't go outside um, and we need to remind people of that. And by the way, we might be doing this for another two or three hundred years. Right. We need a system that really makes people know they can't go outside. How do you do that other than periodically sending some people out there and having their corpse be visible from the goddamn lunchroom? <laughs> yeah. And it's it's interesting because I think the question becomes right, like which it's that's kind of interesting, has some weird like you said, like going back to like some weird like covid parallels you know like um but thinking about like it then becomes this question of like is there is this the only way is there a better way and also like 
is there, you know, when you find out there are other silos, like, are there other people out there? You know, are like, why can't we communicate with the other silos? Why can't we go to them if we can make suits that are allegedly are good? Like, why can't we be out there exploring or finding things or whatever? Right. Like, and, and is there a reason or someone just said it's too risky? We can't do it. Right. Like, I don't know. I'm just it's like that. Right. I think becomes some of the more like plotty questions. And right. Like, why is it? Why is it necessary in the design of the silo to have set up the society this way? Because you can't blame any of the characters in the show for going along with the system that they were born into, you know, like um, and other than the other than the weird secrecy, you know, you can't really point to like, oh, yeah, they really did this bad and wrong. You know, it seems Mm -hmm. like, well, I mean, it seems like everybody's needs are met and, you know, there's some tensions and squabbles between the the classes and people are generally kind of bummed out just because life kind of sucks in the silo. But it's also like, well, Sorry. you would need to <laughs> you would need to control the population. Right. Yeah. Space is not infinite. And, you know, the resources are not infinite. You would have to do something like this. Um, it sucks. But like, what else would you do? And um, but then I think the bigger the, the, the real flaw in the in the in the world of the silo is people aren't allowed to be too curious about mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And and there's kind of an implication that like society in the silo that what the sort of architects for lack of a better term for the society chose was that sort of a like static culture across the board, technology, religion, whatever, you know, that all has to stay the same otherwise because we mapped it out. And if any of these variables change, then it might throw the whole thing off kilter and everyone's going to die. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah. And it, that, that there's an interesting idea, like an interesting, like social theory there that, you know, um, but, you know, it also makes sense. You know, it's like, yeah, if you put 10,000 people in, you know, one apartment building forever, they all have to live, die and have children there. Like uh, at some point. You know, you have to, you know, people can't move away if they're unhappy with things. And also, um, even if the system is democratic within it to to some degree, like it has to be constrained. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have you have to have some rules that like, well, you guys can't all vote to go outside. (laughs) Right. Right. And, you know, you'd have to think of like, well, what would be the most stable way to organize society inside one of these things? That, you know, and apparently this is what they came up with. Um, but um, yeah, that that part is is some of the most interesting parts, just like the bigger thought experiment of it, of like you, your job is to keep humanity alive underground for theoretically an indefinite amount of time. Right. Um, and what they go down there with is what they have. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think it's interesting to ask this question that, you know, other things have asked in different ways, I think. But like, you know, what how, how much how how valuable is human freedom or agency? Let's maybe use that as a better word, like individual agency or even like societal agency if it's like could fail. And then in this case, also potentially wipe out all of humanity. <laughs> like that's a it's that's a hard one. I, I always think about like the ending of a. Uh, I always, that's why I always love the ending of Cabin in the Woods where they just like, nah, fuck it, kill everybody. And just like, you know, the, the mon- you know, like the gods come out and, and destroy the earth. Like, because, you know, you're like, well, you know, like greater good, like that kind of thing. It's such a, it's such a 
fruitful topic in this kind of space because in like sci-fi or, or post-apocalyptic stuff, like because or really any you know, kind of like more politically oriented stuff, uh, fiction is like at the at the extreme, you're like, well, yeah, you know, or or is it like, you know, is if if the if the if the, the lows that they call them, the lows of people live in the bottom of the silo. I don't remember. Um, like people live in the lower floors of the silo, the down the mechanical, like if they destroy the generator because or they go on strike and people starve like is that because their working conditions aren't good let's say like and people die because of it or like the whole you know they risk the whole silos like you know ecosystem going under like is that okay or is it okay to use force to put them back to work right like and i kind of hate that because it sucks um i was i've been playing this game called a little bit called um uh frost punk you heard of this mm-hmm. Um, it's like, a you know, it's a city builder, not city builder, but more of like a survival-y, like, it's like, again, post-apocalyptic, it's an extreme ice age in the distant, like, you know, future, and... Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, it's, this is a bad analogy, but it's basically like post-apocalyptic Sim City, right? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's, but it's very, like, it's a lot more, like, minor, like, it's a lot more, like, smaller scale, you're, like, right. just, like, one town, and, and you're built around this, like, big generator that like makes enough heat to combat like but it's like i was trying to play it like a good person like Mm -hmm. trying as best i could and i was like oh you just lose like you can't win like you know there's points where it's just like there's like example one of the scenarios it comes up with is like hey the generator is like gonna break down unless we send in a child to fix it they will die and it's like fuck man like i don't want to do that but i'm gonna lose the game and like the game's like very punishing so it's just like i guess send the kid in like i don't know but it's like yeah it's like would you do that if if that meant everybody in you know it's like gets down to the utilitarian philosophy right you know kind of perspective but and critiques of that but yeah it's 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 fruitful and i think that what i don't really remember what happens in the sort of back half or back quarter of the book I remember some vague things, but I'd be curious to like read or maybe read a summary of like the whole series and kind of be like, what's his overall like thought? You know what I mean? Like, what's the answer? And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about, particularly sci-fi around like, because every, I feel like a lot, we talked about this a little bit, like even like Marvel stuff where it's like, people like to put a lot of like, Ooh, like complex ideas or like gray characters or, you know, it's hard to say who's good or evil kind of things on the table. And then like no one really has an answer because these things are like sometimes inherently unanswerable or the answer is not socially popular or it would very much display their politics. And then in our polarized society means that half the people are going to, you know, start drinking Bud Light or whatever or not drinking Bud Light, whatever the fucking thing is. But like, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot. And I'm just wondering if like can can things that delve in this area actually deliver something, some meaningful commentary that would be like novel. I have a feeling that, you know, if I got to the end of these, I have I would think that um, we don't get to see exactly how a uh, a reorganized society would look. But I think the idea I mean, I think the idea is going to be that like um, the the layers of secrecy are kind of a micro metaphor for the bigger metaphor of just different chunks of humanity in these silos, not allowed to talk to each other, not allowed to know about each other. And that the world of the silos has been designed to be intentionally worlds without hope, right? Mm -hmm. 
worlds where you are not allowed to imagine that things could be better. Some or you know, like that anything you could do could make anything meaningfully better for everyone. Just don't you just have to keep things moving. And that's the has to be the limit of your imagination. Um, and it's going to be more like, well, we're going to start working together with other silos and sharing ideas and sharing technology and those sorts of things. And maybe if we all work together with the other silos, then maybe we can fix what's wrong with the world or figure out how to live in it or something like that. I think that's where we'd probably end up. Right. And that this is about, you know, a world without hope and a world without cooperation is a bad one. Mm-hmm. But society, instead of being built around hopelessness and just keeping things moving, society should still in- instead be built around uh, hope and cooperation. I think that's going to be the overall message here. Yeah. Yeah. And that also something about like, you know, yeah, I think you're right. I think and that and, and that that suppressing curiosity will is 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 a losing battle that human. You know, you can't you can't you can't engineer a society where human beings aren't going to be curious and, and, and adventurous. Yeah. And then I potentially that that higher level thing that happens is like, was well, that, you know, if you, you can engineer society so that humans survive indefinitely in this static thing, is that a society worth preserving right well i by i think that i think that what he's getting at is that um is that all is that a society built around secrecy and the status quo uh will eventually tear itself apart yeah yeah that's that it won't that like it's like it's not that it can't be preserved that it's there is not worth being preserved it's that that it literally can't be that it won't like this is this this is a dead end yeah yeah that's fair i mean because it's like i think that that's it's, you know, you see the extent to what it's, you know, outside even side of like the kind of eugenics like social stuff, but like, you know, like what Juliet's mom was working on, right? She was trying to make what basically a microscope more or less. Yeah. And like, she was like, oh my God, we could like, you know, prevent all these things with this or like save kids' lives. And it's just like, nah, it's too close to camera. Get out. Like, you know right. what I mean? Smash <laughs> yeah. it. Like, or, or you might be able to read the fine print on things with this. Right. So, yeah, it's like, is that and is that yeah tenable long term? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know the macro storyline of this this world, but like assuming it's been, I don't know, a couple hundred years at most since they've been like underground, you know? Yeah, I think that the uh, the they talk about like the, there was like a, an attempted revolution 140 years ago. Right. But it seems like that's kind of where the commonly accepted history starts. Right. Although Bernard clearly knows more about what went on preceding that. Right. But yeah, I think probably 200 years is probably about right. Right. Like people, if you think that if that, if that rebellion happened kind of overall in the way and time that it, that kind of the story explains it to us is like people, you know, got in the silos, you know, knew what was going on. Couple of decades go by, sixty years is a good one. You've got a whole generation of people who don't know the outside, you know, aren't aren't just like, you know, you imagine if you went down in a bunker because the world just got whatever, let's say, I don't know, again, I don't know the macro story, but like nuked to hell. Like you'd probably be like, Well, this blows, but like it's better than out there. Like whereas your kids might be like, Well, yeah, but like, are you sure? <laughs> and that timing would make sense. Yeah. For like a rebellion. Or right. maybe a revolution. Um Okay, I also just want to say that uh, Rebecca Ferguson, why are you awesome? I yep, I was I I right before I watched this, I I reread 
best served cold. Mm -hmm. She is absolutely the right person to to play uh, Monza. Mm -hmm. However, I hope that uh, either the direct. Well, we know who's directing best served cold. Um, Yeah, yeah, there I, I, I was very conscious in in this that uh she had like three different accents in this show they need to <laughs> they need to they need to nail it down with her yeah yeah, yeah. what is her uh, i don't know she's her british, british i believe okay. um, but there were times where her you know neutral american sounding accent was fine there were other times where i was like is she supposed is this supposed to be like a mechanical you know like this is the way they talk down there is she trying to do something here or is she just not quite getting the you know um so yeah i yeah, hope yeah. they nail that down a little bit yeah but just i i just love she's so good in these roles that like that is like still kind of like weirdly uncommon for 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 women i think of like there's all these ways to make like kind of like these more like kind of to be honest nowadays like trite or stereotyped kind of like strong female roles and none of those things are necessarily bad but like they're just like okay i've seen this one before and like I don't know that I've seen this one before. Like, and she brings that a different energy to a lot of the characters she plays, partially because you know, just like from my perspective, like she is a pretty woman, but she's not Hollywood like, or at least the way that I mean, the combination of hair and makeup and the things they do with her, and just like her natural kind of all that put together in like this role, or as Jessica in Dune, like she feels very authentic and real as like a person you'd like walk into on yeah. the street, where like. Scarjo can never do that for me because she's like a model. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's always yeah. a little bit of like, oh, I'm looking at a Hollywood actor. And that energy, like you said, for Monza is going to be awesome. So and fits Julie from my recollection of her from the books so well. Yeah, she. Um, so first to correct myself, she's Swedish, not British. So oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, one of the things I, I, I think she just is very good at, and I think this was helpful for her role as Jessica in Dune, Juliet in Silo, and then I think Monza in Best Served Cold is like she she does a really good job of being simultaneously strong and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell that like with the Juliet character, like she's very, very competent where, you know, in in her in her field. But also when she's being asked to do like sheriff stuff, she's. A lot more shaky, but is trying to project that confidence. And that's a very layered performance that she does very well. Yeah. Like um, her, her performances feel so real. Like yes. to me, like her her ability to express kind of complicated feelings that like frustration and like, you know, yeah, a little bit of like confusion and and, and the the intersection of like places in your life where you, where you feel more confident and less com- confident. Like she really brings that across. Well, yeah, she's, she's just got a, um, you know, like, like a lot of actors they can do, you know, they can be, they can have, they can do one emotion very well, but it's when, you know, you know, the other stuff that might be just below the surface, she, she can do those multiple layers very, very well. And, 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 um, you know, she can portray these complex characters who are like they are strong, they are competent, but, you know, they also, you know, like like for Monza, like she's this like 
you know, incredibly badass general, um, excellent, you know, uh, you know, swordsman in her own right and all this stuff. But also, you know, is this, you know, traumatized uh, victim mm-hmm. and uh, drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and, and to be able to vacillate back and forth between this, like, you know, leading armies and then just like um, being just like borderline suicidal in the next scene you know like without having that be manic and 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 all over the place but just like i get it like i understand when you know you know i understand when she's putting on a show but i also understand this like stronger side is like that's that's not necessarily a show she's putting on she's Mm -hmm. just calling on different uh aspects of her own personality and rebecca ferguson really does that so well yeah it's just uh, just something so authentic and real about this what i've seen from her performance i've been seeing her in a ton of things yeah the, the recent things that i've seen her in i don't know how I've never, i haven't seen the mission impossible i'm not sure how she does in that but i mean uh it's been a while since i've seen it but like she's fine as yeah. she's as fine as anybody else like not as much has- to do <laughs> Nobody has more than 10 minutes of screen time in any of those things. <laughs> if their name isn't Tom Cruise, like they're in it. They have some scenes. They're good. They talk, you yeah. know, but like she, she's not, she's not got a ton to work with there. Yeah. The accent thing is interesting. I definitely agree with you because I was kind of like, yeah, like I'm doing that. She's like kind of code switching between like low speak yeah. and upper speak or whatever. And I, there wasn't really any like rhyme or reason to it. So, yeah. Um, but it makes me think of. So the second season of Wheel of Time just started. Uh huh. And in Wheel of Time, there is a group of people. They're called the Shanshin, and they are, long story short, mythic hero sailed across the ocean with an army like hundreds of years ago and never came back. And the implication was that that he probably probably died. Turns out in this world, they landed on another continent and started a civilization. And it's been, you know, and they come back to the main sort of like continent where like the Wheel of Time is taking place. And they're like pretty fucked up about it they're just like kind of the bad guys for a while and or you know no one's the bad guy but like some of them are very bad and they have a shitty society but the funny thing is in the books you know because the idea is that like the different places and some has always been lauded in those books is like you know he makes a big deal of making it like every society is kind of like a jumbled mix of things that are familiar to us it's like, oh, this place is kind of like France, but they eat Vietnamese food and they hmm. they like dress like they're in China or whatever. You know, what I mean, like, like these are kind of weird mixes we're not used to. And also in juxtaposition to some places that are a little more like traditionally what we just figure in like a fantasy. Like, oh, this is fake England. Right. Like this right. is fake France. Um, but <laughs> the thing about the Shanshan is it's very explicitly stated and Robert Jordan confirmed like. They have a a very intense Southern American accent. Like they're from deep Alabama. They always are described as having like a drawl and like, you know, being really slow in their speech and blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of like very menacing. So that's like very funny when you think about it. And their their society is like very exotic and very interesting, but like kind of paired with this, like (laughs) not something that you don't don't expect. Well, I tell you what. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But fucking cowards. They didn't do it in the show. But what they uh-huh. did do is that everyone kind of speaks like that kind of like pseudo, you know, kind of like I call it Star Wars accent where everyone's like kind of British. Right. You know, so everyone kind of in the world speaks that. But the Shanshan speak like kind of a neutral American accent. So like they, they did it half ass. And I'm like, ah, man, come on, like just commit to it. But I don't know how you make it not goofy. So I get it. But accents funny. But yeah, they need to make sure that I'm, I assume that they'll probably do. Uh, because Joe Abercrombie is British and I assume they will do that sort of 
you know, everyone kind of speaks vaguely British English accent and that she probably can live there a little better because that's probably what her. Although those people in Sweden when I was there didn't particularly have an accent when they spoke. But well, I, I mean, they could. I mean, the, you know, that that's the thing is that, you know, they could they could have and I think they would be smart to, you know, she could just use her 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 natural, you know, whatever in whatever accent she speaks, norm, whatever accent she speaks English in, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that is natural for her, because it's like, well, she's from Styria and maybe maybe in the film version of First Law, Styria, people have a Scandinavian accent. <laughs> yeah. And right. She's from Sweden. Yeah. Or is she from Talents? Doesn't matter. She's from a country. Oh yeah, and yeah. that's the thing. Syria is, is the continent. Um, yeah, I think she's from Talents. Talents, but yeah, Snake of Talents. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. That's way far afield. But the point is that, like, within that story, you've got characters from all over uh, his fictional Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you know, call Shivers. Just give him like a North Country British accent. You know. Whatever Henry Cavill is, because that's who's playing him in this version of the movie in my head, um, uh, it, you know, and 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 you just have a good panoply of accents and you get that sense that like, yeah, these are people from other countries rather than just doing the generic, vaguely British fantasy accent that everybody does. Like, I think they should have different accents just based on, yeah, like wherever the actor's from. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's just what you use your baseline. No, I would agree for sure. Or you just do like, well, these guys have the Hollywood German accent and these guys have the Hollywood Swedish accent. And that's what we're going to do. And because um, even Game of Thrones didn't do a good job with that of like everybody just had generic fantasy accent. And that would have been a really great opportunity to like further differentiate the kingdoms from each other. And, you know, <sighs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think that I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, especially when you get to like the more culturally different ones like Dorn versus I mean, yeah. they probably had. I guess Pedro Pascal had a different accent over, but like even even amongst right. some of the lowlands and in, in the hot, like the Stark should have had like a probably significantly different because the North is kind of considered like an entity unto itself, right? Right, and and they did at least in the early seasons like really differentiating the costume design, and that was helpful. But like, um, but like even you know like Abercrombie like writes the characters with accents, not and even in the, like the you know even like their internal monologues. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you read, you know, like a Shivers chapter, like, you know, he 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 thinks like this, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the sentence structure, the little kind of contractions and little turns of phrase. And um, so I would hope that since Abercrombie so tightly involved that like that'll be a part of it <laughs> rather than just, yep, generic fucking fantasy English. Here we go. Yeah. I mean, I know that you've mostly listened to. Abercrombie's books, right? Your audiobooks. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, so I've always heard that there that audiobook narrator is like top tier. He is quite good. Um, does he do accents for the people? Uh typically, yes. Um, but I don't know that he does it like consistently enough that all the uh all the characters, you know, from uh one continent all have a consistent accent. Um, it's kind of, you know, um, it's kind of funny. This particular narrator and I, I've heard him do a bunch of stuff. Um, he does a lot of the Abercrombie stuff, but like you get used to them and you realize like they have like a kind of a library of like maybe two dozen voices that they use. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can, you can hear where they're kind of rotating them through in other stories. Like, oh, you know, that's, he was, that's that's the Cole Shivers voice. (laughs) 
yeah, it's, you know, it was the, that was, yeah, that's the Shivers voice. Like, I think that, uh, like, it could be, like, his Shivers voice and his, like, you know, Black Dow voice might be the same. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, you can't, um, I mean, you I don't have so are, many voices, even as, right. like, a and, good... And, you know, if you were a, um, uh, if, if you were a, uh, you know, audiobook narrator, like, that's the thing you would obviously do is you would have um you know you would have a, a a bank that you would go to that i know what these are i don't have to think too hard about them you know i can uh switch back and forth between them at will as i move from chapter to chapter uh yeah yeah that makes sense um but anyway uh anything else about the silo greg uh are you excited for season two um based on what you're reading without any spoilers uh do you think where they i mean i hard to argue where they ended the first season you know didn't wasn't a good way to wasn't a good stopping point if they're going to split that book up i don't know where else you'd you know you'd do i that, have but. no idea because i don't think that there is a full season left in the book i agree um but i also don't know what comes next um yeah like i, I think i for my brief wikipedia around without trying to get too many spoilers for things to come past the first book i think the second book is kind of like more like a prequel that leads into sort of like a setup I, for a more of like a culmination third book i think so so maybe they'll try and maybe do some of that through like flashbacks in an effort to maybe make like a three or four seasons series that, you know, pulls it all together. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm uh, yeah. I think maybe that's what you maybe well, or you could theoretically do you intersperse the flashbacks. Right. You know, as, yeah, as, I think you could, uh, from what I understand of book two season two, you could probably mix book two with the remaining events of, book one and then yeah that makes sense yeah what you said and then season three is the you know back to the action yeah like as jewel as julie is you know discovering whatever is this new new world book quote unquote like finding things that are triggering obviously not her flashbacks but flashbacks in the in the world to, to right. show kind of like how they got there or, what, or maybe she'll right. meet a character that can explain it or something like that well and i i think that the the characters involved i think are going to be different in the show versus the book but yeah I think, so. you know, you're going to have an opportunity where as Bernard trains his replacement, there's obvious exposition opportunities there. Right. Because that replacement has to get read in on all the history. So then we can, too. Yeah. No, that's also a good opportunity to do that. So, yeah. Um, I, I was I'm excited. I, you know, I enjoyed watching it. Shane, and I enjoyed watching it together. A lot of good things going on in it. I think, yeah, the, the my only real complaints were were sort of some of like, yeah, some of like the stretches and the actual just like source material storylines. Like, does that make complete sense? And and does it have something at, at, by the end? What is it saying by the end? Yeah, uh, I you know, I, like I said, I think I think that the, the plot makes more sense now than it did <laughs> the first time we talked about it. Um, uh, but um, and I think it also makes more sense well, what I was cooking up in my head based on further revelations in the book makes even less sense. So uh, I think we're I think we got it nailed down. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think I'm going to you know, I don't think I'm going to plow through the books to get ahead of it. I think, you know, like because um, like I say, the books themselves aren't really they're not the most compelling read for me. Mm-hmm. So probably wait for the next season, but I, I'm looking forward to the next season. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I had that moment where I was like, oh, you know, should I go back and, like, reread? Well, it's been so long. And then just, like, read the whole world as as I am, you know, want to do. But honestly, yeah. 
I feel like maybe I might like it better as to your point, I might like it better as a show. Cause I think it's visually compelling. It's well acted. It's well put together. You know, it's the, like I said, the prose is not doing any, you know, not blowing me out of the water. Like I, I'm not one to typically reread books in general. So I think I'll probably just, just go along for the, the TV ride for now, at least. Um, if the show gets canceled or something, which it did get renewed for second season. So that's good. Um, you know, then maybe I would go and read it just to get, just get the story. But, uh, I did take on a big undertaking, Greg. So I don't Uh-oh. have a lot of extra reading. Um, I started reading, reading Malazan book of the fallen. What's that? Malazan book of the fallen is kind of a notoriously famous slash infamous fantasy series, uh, that grew out of a guy's, do you know what GURPS is? Uh, it's like, um, forget what it stands for it's it's basically dean um yes 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 okay yep yep i'm with you um out of his gurps campaigns from like the 80s and early 90s and he you know obviously doesn't read like he took that world that him and his friends created this homebrew world and and made this epic epic fantasy series it's like 11 books and just like notoriously not dense from a prose perspective, but dense from like a story perspective where it's just like character, 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 concept, concept, character, concept, concept. And the only person I know in my group of friends who have read a good amount of fantasy, he got to the third book and said, I still had no idea what was going on. <laughs> so I stopped. Um, and I read the first book and it was slow goings. And I took a break because I wanted to read the most recent Red Rising book, which we should talk about sometime um, Red Rising in general. You've never read those, right? No. Okay. Um, and I also am reading the third Sanderson Secret Project book, uh, which is by far his weirdest book I've read from him so far. Uh, but I'm going to be starting back on Malazan, uh, book two, because I did read book one. And um, I, it's fucking bonkers. But I kind of digged it. <laughs> it's kind of like if you took... The, the best comparison I can think of from like my library of things I've read is if you took Brandon Sanderson and mix him with China Miaville, that's kind of what you get uh. where it's like, it is bonkers ass fantasy shit. And sort of the more like, like, let me explain to you uh, a piece of this, Greg, uh, in um, the climax of the first book, there is a fight scene battles climax scene between um 12 dragons a 300,000 year old zombie lich mage thing uh a super sexy super edge lord uh dark elf basically who lives in a flying moon fortress that has an 8 foot long sword that when he kills you with it you go to a pocket dimension where you're pushing a, you're chained to a cart and pushing it for eternity. This sounds very complicated. <laughs> That's just one of the fights in the final. Climax. Sounds like a lot. So it's just like kind of like barely holding on to like even just like what the fuck is happening in the book series, but in kind of like a fun manic kind of way. And that kind of way that the reason it reminds me of time movie wars, a lot of stuff where it's just like, oh yeah, and this thing. Don't worry about it though. You know what I mean? It's a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> And, well, you know, um, I love that. I love the. I love the casually mentioning an entirely different culture with yes, wild ideas. Yes, a lot of that. Where it's like, okay, and like, also just from a plotting perspective, it's like the first third of this book 
three of the main characters die and come back to life, <laughs> which is kind of bonkers too. And uh, it's definitely a challenging read um, in the way that, you know, China Mevo is a little challenging to read too, but uh, everyone says it frequently gets on these like, you know, top fantasy series of all times kind of lists. And I was browsing the subreddit a little bit, just trying to be like, is this for me? Like, should I stick with it? And people are like, it's so worth it. And don't get caught in the weeds of like, <laughs> if you don't understand something, like it'll all come together. Just keep pushing through. And I, I like I fundamentally, I think I got most of what happened in the first book, but there's just like there's so many players. It's just like and then like, apparently like what will happen is like, I guess in the next book, it's like, oh, all those characters and stuff that you finally kind of start understanding. Oh, no, we're going to a completely new setting. And we'll come back to those characters in like three books. It's like, cool. Okay. Um, so, and there's like, there's like, you know, there's gods, but then there's also elder gods and there's also things oh, that are God. above gods. And you're like, oh my God, like it's pretty wild. So anyway, that's, what's been a, uh, that's why I'm not going to read the silo. Cause I think it's a little bit of whiplash for me. <laughs> <laughs> too, too simple and straightforward. I'm getting out there, man. Well, I'll tell you what I've been, uh, what I started watching. Um, so, uh, there's this anime. Oh boy. I knew that was coming. Uh, yeah. It's how things go now. <laughs> um, so there's this anime, uh -huh. which I've heard good things about. Everybody says it's really good, uh -huh. but everybody also says it's super fucked up. Okay. Sounds like something Greg would be interested in. Uh, and, uh, it is called made in abyss. Okay. Uh, and I just want you to like, you know, um, just do a real quick Google image search for Made in Abyss. You know, don't even bother. I'll just send you. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm just going to put this in our chat. Should I open this in an incognito window? No, or? no, no, no. Uh, yeah. So just take a look at that at that image I just sent you. Hey, looks wholesome and cute. Yeah, it looks like it looks like two. Two kids in a very childish art style. Uh-huh. Some sort uh, of look fun like, adventure. Look like preteens on some kind of... Ex they're exploring adventure. One of them might be some kind of cyborg. Yeah, or Iron Man armor or something going on. Yeah. Um, let me tell you, this is the most fucked up thing God. <laughs> I have watched in a very long time. And I am including Evangelion in that. Oh, boy uh yeah so imagine all of the like body horror and oh, they look so um, cute and innocent yeah body horror and like you know weirdly frank uh understandings of like you know preteen sexuality mm -hmm. uh imagine all of that from ava but with an art style that looks like you know like caillou <laughs> It's right. uh, it's really, really good. At, 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 like, you know, all that stuff is there and uh, um, uh, it is. Uh, but it is that art style is a real trick. This is a incredibly grown up. I was going to say, program. Is, is it is it is it like this is always a loaded question when it comes to anime, I feel like. But like, who is the target audience for this? Is it children? And then they just they just. Weird. No. Okay. No. This is this is a little bit more grown up. Not because it's like um especially um Orny. like <laughs> it's not no, it's not like 
um it's not you're not it doesn't leer at the characters at all um you know um it doesn't you know it's not leering at them but uh you know but these kids are like 11 12 years old so you know um they are where they are and but like it's never leering in that way but uh um it just some some real fucked up shit happens to these kids uh anyway the premise is um so imagine there's a uh, this thing called the abyss. It's a giant hole in the ground mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, is like 10,000 meters wide and 20,000 meters kilometers deep, you know, and um, uh, there's all kinds of treasures, relics and artifacts of like a long gone advanced civilization down in the abyss. Uh, so uh, there are these there are these people, these the delvers or cave raiders or whatever you want to call them, that like that's what they do. They go down, they adventure into the abyss and collect these relics. And there's all kinds of like weird monsters and stuff in the abyss. Um, and the deeper you go, the more dangerous it gets. Like you progress through these different like ecosystems and, uh, you know, with different monsters and different, you know, plants that'll kill you. Um, and also there is this part of the you know magic element of the abyss is that like the further down you go uh the harder it is to come back up because there's like this thing the curse of the abyss and you know if you're just going down to the first kind of layer you just maybe you get a little kind of nauseous on the way back up further down it gets worse and now you're bleeding and then eventually it's like you can't come back up or you'll die so it gets progressively more dangerous as it as you go and like these kids just get fucked up by monsters all the time and like or they like try to find food and it poisons them and that's that's what we're going to be talking about for five episodes is these children try not to die cuz they're poisoned um but it's really really good but it is really really dark um they've made uh uh one season which i think is streaming for free on prime and then there's a movie, which is really just like three or four episodes of the show, kind of, you know. Sure. And then there's an, another season. Um, but uh, I don't think they're going to be able to go past three seasons. But who kno- nobody knows when or if the third season is coming out. But it's really good. But also uh, it gets real dark real quick. That art style is a is a trap. Woof. How did you come it's, across this? Well, it's just been I mean, it's been out for a while and it's just been one of those things people like. I mean, number one, you keep seeing like Reddit memes of like, you know, first panel of the meme is, oh, look at this cute, wholesome anime. And then the second is just like, you know, you know, like the the, the doomer face, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I've also heard that like, one, it's got that whole dynamic, but also two, it's just genuinely good and people, you know, really like it because it's a really interesting kind of fictional world. And like, it's, you know, a, just a, a, when it's not being incredibly fucked up uh a pretty watchable show um uh if you are okay with you know um it's a show about children being tortured by their environment and also by evil grown-ups mainly (laughs) Um, but it's really good it's really good uh once you can get over those those themes yeah Uh, uh that sounds like a lot um I was actually just yeah. thinking about anime and you because um, I mentioned my buddy Keith on here before, who is number one anime fan that I know. Um, we should have him on sometime and talk talk some anime. Uh, but he just shared. I was going to send it to you. Um, he put together like a couple spreadsheets of 
all the animes he's watched and like, you know, kind of just like rankings and info because he gets asked a lot. He gets a lot. People come to him a lot for like recommendations and stuff. So he's like, I'm just going to put this together. According to this, he has watched 84 animes. That's too many. <laughs> um, and, you know, he has them ranked one to 84. Uh, wow. What's number one? Ava, right? Uh, no, that is 40 mm, something. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Craig's like, I don't know. I always already scream. It seems uh, kind of low. I'll read you the top. 10 yeah, very give quickly. Me the top, give me the top three. Eureka 7. Huh. Uh, and he, he's watched some random stuff. Uh, March comes in like a lion. Clan I don't know ad? what that is. What's the third one? Clan ad? Clan ad? Uh, that's, that, that's old. Yeah. Um, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. All right. Steins Gate. Demon Slayer. Hunter x Hunter. Jojo's. My Hero. Spy x Family. That's his top 10. I mean, Demon Slayer is uh, the, like the most popular thing in the world for a reason. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've watched the episodes that are on Netflix. It's a it's an absolute like shonen, you know, like teen boy kind of thing. But um, it's just incredibly well done. Like it's just like take the model of like, hey, he's the kid's a samurai who's got to fight monsters and like join the samurai team and you know keep leveling up his special abilities and he's got two wacky sidekicks and you're like yep heard this a million times but they're (laughs) like what if we did that but perfect (laughs) what if we made the platonic ideal of like the shonen anime and um some genuinely uh you know one of the things i said about you know my hero academia is like yeah this thing's a little wacky and you know tropey but like man some of the action sequences are just like next level this is on that same kind of idea like some of the action stuff you're just like holy shit where did this come from um it's you know just a good watchable like power of friendship to fight monsters kind of thing um although it gets creepy with some stuff i'll say uh the like the main character you know his uh he's the demon slayer of he's a demon slayer obviously uh but he's also got his his kid sister who like got turned into a demon but is like still kind of cool and of course that creates all kinds of tension in the plot and he keeps her in a box on his back but like one of her demon powers is she can like uh change her um like change her size so that you know, like most of the time, like when she's in the box, she's like a toddler size, but not like she just shrinks like she becomes a toddler. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like she's drawn differently, too. Um, and then when she's fighting, she's more like, you know, kind of in the same kind of like preteen style as the rest of the cast. But then when she like super demons out, she gets like older and hotter mm-hmm. and the show gets kind of weird about it. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's really fucking weird that they're like, oh yeah, we got this character and she can be, uh, however old we want her to be based on what's going on in the scene. Uh, and yes, we will sexualize her when we want to. And it's just like, oh, that's, this is fucking weird guys. This is real fucking weird. <laughs> um, but otherwise it's good. I mean, it's a, look, it's, it's an anime. It's, there's going to be a creepy element. This is this one's creepy element. <laughs> Don't love it, but you know it's still a, it, it's still a, a a lot of fun to watch. That's good. If to you know. just want that, I yeah. I I like you know I had started uh, my hero, which I enjoyed, and I, I should hop back on. But I was 
I was trying, I'm trying to decide if that's going to, I've been like kind of feeling nostalgic for D- Dragon Ball Z a little bit and like was like, oh, should I give Dragon Ball Super a try? I've heard it's not great, but you know, but then I was just like, then I like watched some clips. And I'm like, I actually don't think I want to watch this. And I was like, but is there something that's like this, but better? And I know Dragon Ball isn't like a shonen necessarily. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, I guess. But it's not so much like. I guess because they're not like kids, I guess. I always yeah, say, but no, like, but, it, but it's it's, you know, I mean, it's it's power levels and leveling up yes, and new forms and, and all that kind of stuff. So power of friendship to beat the new big bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but I, I kind of want like the more serious version of that. What would that be? It's tough. I don't know, to be honest. Um, I mean, Made in Abyss is really fucking serious, but it's not, you know. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really follow that same kind of plot outline i don't know what i would call like a more serious like like it's dragon ball but a little bit more grown up yeah i think you just gotta i think you just gotta let that more grown up part go sure 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 is would you describe main abyss as like horry or is it just like it has a dark adventure story i would call it more, more of a dark adventure than like out and out horror like there are certainly some parts that are like a little bit more horror e, but as a as the dominant genre, I would not call it a horror. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's 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 a, it's it's an adventure with horror elements, not the other way around. Yeah, Keith's always told me what I should watch if I want to watch some anime. It would probably be appealing to me is some of like the more serious Gundam stuff, like not G Gundam, but like the just straight military political yeah. Gundam things that I probably would enjoy. So I which hear is the last true. two are, are pretty good. I heard that as well. But, but if I watch Gundam, I'm going to want to play armored core six. <laughs> I watched Dungeons and, review that and it looks funny as hell. And I'm, I'm I, I kind of, I, I kind of need an excuse not to play armored core six because you know, I'm still working on street fighter and blasphemous two just came out this week. So I'm playing that and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't get armored core. Yeah. And it, it sounds like not like a great game. Like it might be a armored fun core? game. Yeah. At least from the review I watched. Uh, yeah. Donkey, I watched Toki's review too, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing mostly good things about it. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm a sucker for from software. Yeah. It looks, uh, it looks like a game, not of this time, but kind of in a good way. Yeah. Like it looks like something you'd play on like PlayStation one, but with great graphics. And I'm kind of like into that piece. So yeah. I never played any armor core games. Yeah. I never played armor core games. I do like a good mech game though. Yeah. I never touched the earlier ones either, but I hear this one is like, this is accessible for new players. It really is like an action game. Um, and you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll keep throwing money at from software for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I might try and give, if I play more, if I like finish fallen order, I might give Elden Ring a try. You should. But I've heard, I've watched my friends play a little bit some, and, um, you know, I think it might be might be worth a go. Yeah, no, it's, it's. I mean, it's easily one of the best games of the decade. You can't not play Elden Ring. <laughs> I just don't like losing, Greg. Well, one, play smart. <laughs> Get better. <laughs> well, no, I mean, honestly, play smart. Like, yeah. if there's a big, scary-looking bad guy, he's a big, scary-looking bad guy for a reason. Like, that's the game telling you maybe don't fuck with this guy right away. Um, You will have a very good sense within the first 20 minutes of that game, like, what kind of enemies you are qualified to take on. Play slow, you know, understand that, like, you know, respect every enemy that the game throws at you and just embrace the fact that, like, yeah, you're going to die and just die smart. (laughs) 
Yeah. I know that sounds dumb, but like, you know, once you figure out how, and I mean, like you're already playing uh, Fallen Order, which has, you know, kind of a similar idea of like, you got one chance to get back to your experience points, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Something like that. And like you, once you get used to that, it just encourages you to play more conservatively. And, you know, once you, you start to, you know, learn, like when you're playing Elden Ring, like, you know, all right, if I'm going to lose these runes when I die, maybe I should, when I head into this zone, like don't go in with a million runes in your pocket, like spend that shit first, go in, fight some stuff. And if you die, no big deal. Don't play the game like Sanderson played it. How did he play it? Like an idiot? Uh, hold on. I have to go because you're going to love it. Um, he basically said, how long can I go without spending my runes? Oh, yeah. No, that's 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 the opposite way to play the game. Spend your runes <laughs> uh, because you don't because you will uh, because you're going to lose them. And once you start to feel like uh, I'm running pretty low on resources and I got a big pile of runes, maybe don't see what's behind that next door. Maybe go back to the next grace and spend that. <laughs> I can't find a total count at the end, but at one point he had over two million runes. Oh, yeah, you can definitely do it. And uh, but it's also like, why? He's That's a like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, why do it? That, like, I'm going to play this the hardest possible way yeah. for no benefit. He's into that kind of thing. Like, he's just like, how yeah. can I make this game as hard as possible? And I'm like, I don't get it, man, but enjoy. Um, how can I make this? <laughs> minimally enjoyable <laughs> hey man different strokes i guess i guess that's so. fine yeah i'm not I'm, I'm just saying you know yeah sometimes sometimes i guess i'll say this uh, obviously i'm not gonna tell anybody how to have fun with their video games but i have found that if you play the game the way the designers want you to play the game you will have the most fun yes that is something i feel very like almost like weirdly beholden to like you know, I, for example, I've been playing this game a little bit called, it's a little indie game, kind of like a, it's kind of like a combination of like a tower, like a little bit of like a tower defense, but also like you're kind of like mining and dungeon-y kind of crawling, like not crawling, but like it's run based. So it's kind of a roguelite, but like very quickly, the game just turned into a bunch of toggles that you can just like turn on and off to make the runs like harder or easier. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't like to make my own fun. Like, you know, I mean, I like, like give me a progression, give me a game to play yep. through and when any, when any, when a lot of like roguelites hit that point where it's just like, make your own fun. I'm just like, I'm not good at that. Like, and I don't, I need to be pulled through the hard parts. I'm not just going to make it arbitrarily harder for me. And like, even if it's in interesting or unique ways, if you can like entice me in some way, like, oh, you know, it's, this is harder, but you get to do this cool thing. Like maybe, but I'm not good at that. I need, I need structure in my video. Games. Well, and it, I mean, yeah, part of it is the structure and just, you know, like, I also want that because I'm like, I don't have I, I, I just want to play the game. I want to I want to get to the end of the story and, and feel like I saw most of the content. Yeah. And, I you know, I don't want to um, I don't want something where I can lose 60 hours a week in it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have that time. Yeah. But like, I, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, um, you know, it's like you see people and it's like, yeah, like, oh, I tried to play the game without without engaging in this mechanic. It's like what why would you do that <laughs> it just seems weird to me it, it, it seems like to me like that's like going to like a michelin star re restaurant and being like yeah you know i'll i'll have the i'll have the penne but but no tomatoes no garlic <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. um like, or, or go to a sushi restaurant and ordering a hamburger like yeah um yeah yeah, yeah. i mean play i play it the way 
I mean, obviously, you know, you want a game that gives you some flexibility to play it in a way that is enjoyable to you. But like, you know, it's like when people it's like, oh, I didn't like this RPG because it wasn't actiony enough. It's like, yeah, no shit. (laughs) That's because it's an RPG. It's not an action game. Like, yeah. And um, or like I remember back when uh, Oblivion came out, you know, when I was living with friends and doing the whole like bachelor life Mm -hmm. thing. And I just remember watching, you know, one of my friends like basically break his entire his entire game because he decided like, oh, I know what I want to do before I engage with any of the quests. I'm just going to like pick every lock and, you know, like rob a bunch of places. And then he ended up breaking a bunch of like key quests. Yeah. It's like, yeah, man, it's because you you tried to play the you tried to turn this game into your little playground instead of what it was built to be. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, um, I and I, I, I definitely am not a person who likes to be like super frustrated in playing a game. So example, like I played do the 2016 Doom and fucking loved it. It was just like this mm-hmm. great. This game was amazing. And then it's like, well, everyone's like, well, Doom Eternal is even better. I'm like, OK, cool. I'll play that. But I was just like, oh, but like, you know, I know these like, you know, these games are like lauded for like their gunplay and their gameplay. And like, I should I should turn it up a notch like to like the next mm-hmm. level difficulty when I play Doom Eternal. And like I made it two levels in and got frustrated and stopped, right. which is a crime. And you forgotten that you had that, that, that you had tied those bricks around your own hands. Correct. Um, like, well, I should be able to do this. And it's just like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, I right. just played the game, and I also just thought it was actually this is very unpopular opinion. Again, I didn't get very far, but that I thought it was not as good as Doom 2016 in certain ways. And people are like, oh, you're wrong. And I'm like, maybe, but um, eh, it, going right from the wrong. first one to the second one, I'm like, I noticed things. I was like, oh, I don't like this as much and kind of broke me out of it. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, I have a fun little video game side update real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Shay has expressed, we talked about this before, uh, has expressed interest has, in video games. And we finally kind of really like, okay, let's sit down and find one. I have 200 free games in the Epic store. Good God. Because they put a brew game up every week or two games a week. Right. I'm just like, cool, whatever. I'll add it to the library. Maybe someday I'll play this whatever bullshit game. Um, we found a game called Not Alone. It is a kind of like side-scrolling puzzle platformer co-op kind of thing. That's, you know, like, you know that genre I'm talking about. Yeah. A trying kind of level, whatever. And uh, you play as, it's actually cool. It's like from a, like an Inuit tribe, like one of their like traditional stories turned into like a video game. And it's about this like huh. little, they're actually not Inuits. I forgot the tribe name, Um, like far, far North Alaska and a little like little Inuit girl and like a fox. And you have that like asymmetrical gameplay where like the fox mm-hmm. can do some things and she can do some things. And, you know, it's cute. It's almost like 10 years old, but we've been playing through it and it, it's funny. It's just like watching her like mechanically just like not be able to do things just like okay we gotta like outrun this thing and it's just, and you gotta like shoot your bola at the thing and she's like trying to aim and just like can't do it and it's like all right like this is why we're starting with a game like this because this is about this is a challenging level game that like is you know <laughs> it's just interesting but we had fun doing it we played for like two hours Good. and she was like i feel like and she said i wish i was better because i like i can tell this game is not that interesting or challenging but it is for me. I right. wish I could be better because I feel like I'd like something a little more like complex. And I'm like, that is a good like feeling. I get that. Maybe you'll get there like as you use the controller more and develop it. But it's just interesting running into people who just like have a whole chunk of your life that like life experience that you just like do not have, mm-hmm. you know, in like obviously we know about that, about lots of things in more serious parts of life. But in sort of more of like the media thing, like, you know, Shay Mazur hasn't watched an episode of The Simpsons 
never played a video game, never watched Star Wars. It's just like, you are... <laughs> we are different people. <laughs> Interesting, Indeed. though. So, but I guess it keeps us in business, right? You know, telling people how business. we like stuff. Business. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, it was good to talk some. Yeah. Um, but I guess usually we try and pick something. Have to know what's next. To tell people what to do next. I don't know. We have no other do way you, of communicating with them since... Do you have any brilliant ideas? Um, I mean, I... I need to talk to somebody about The Flash. I definitely want to talk about The Flash. Do you think we will... I haven't watched it yet. I want to watch it. I'm going to watch it. (laughs) I'm sure you do. Do you think it's enough that we would get a whole episode out of it, or should we pair it with something else to... Uh, I I almost feel like I could go frame by frame through that movie. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's do... Well, I guess we kind of already talked about, like... I was going to say, let's talk about The Flash and talk about the upcoming DC stuff. I feel like we already kind of talked about the upcoming DC stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, look, man, I'm surprised there is any upcoming <laughs> DC stuff after this. Um, Genuinely surprised. Yeah. Uh, Holy shit. Okay. Let's do The Flash then. All right. Let's do The Flash. Let's do The Flash. It, and then maybe we can also, we can we can shoot the shit about some other things we've... we've if if we if we need to it's the flash yeah because we have a real history of you know episodes tending to like we run out of things to talk about and they go really yeah. short and then you know <laughs> we gotta be we gotta pat them out real that's usually a problem we have <laughs> all right uh we will watch the flash yeah we should watch the flash and um i'm a little nervous too. watch the flash <laughs> i'm gonna do it uh i mean look there is no um oh man look there's no way this is a good movie okay <laughs> this uh, but i was told that this movie is bad and boring um this movie is baffling what is ah oh, i can't wait to talk about it like i i'm so glad i watched it i'm gonna watch it again it is absurd i mean you know uh um the whole like uh Doctor Strange, like it's bad, but it's in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. All that, like this is it's a, a whole other thing. Like there were points where I was watching it where I was almost like, "Is this a joke?" <laughs> Am I because, on like, candid camera right now? Like, or is is this is this a parody of the Flash? Is this a parody of a movie that didn't come out? Like, or it. Is this like some kind of like weird, like David Lynchian, like satire of the genre is if if they made this movie on purpose, they would be geniuses. But they did not make this movie on purpose. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, you you definitely sold me. We're going to watch The Flash uh, and I'm very excited to to watch this kind of thing because they invented a whole new kind of bad movie for this. Great. Like, yeah, it's a whole it's 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 a it's a different kind. It's a kind of bad I have never seen before. Might also be my favorite DC movie. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Um, Might be uh, other than Batman. Um, Good man. I, OK, I'll say this. That This is all I'll say until you watch it. One, it is easily the best Batfleck I have seen. Okay. The best version of Batfleck is in this movie. Okay. And also one of the best Batman fight scenes. Uh, the first like really like surprising and interesting Batman fight scene I've seen. Okay. I'm always down for a good Batman fight scene. Yeah. 
Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's all I'll say. All right. Well, all right. next episode, The Flash on Max. Yes. Uh, for now, which is why you should watch it, because who knows what they're going to decide to do at any point when they're just like, eh, we're just going to take random things off my streaming server for some for tax reasons? I don't know. I can't even believe that. I mean, the fact that they let them finish making this movie is amazing. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, Tommy Wiseau levels of baffling in this movie. Oh, shit. Wow. Like, where you're watching it and you're just like, how the fuck did any adult think this was a was was a cool thing to put in a movie? Or that this was a good idea. Oh, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Okay, go watch The Flash. <laughs> I'll edit this episode. I'm going to talk later. All right, sounds good. All right. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.